This podcast was produced by ORFM Dunedin with support from New Zealand On the Air. Otago Access Radio, in partnership with Otago Polytech, brings you Blowing Bubbles. Blowing Bubbles brings you positive conversations with people in their bubbles around the world. How are people living their bubble lives? Working from home, keeping kids entertained, and staying connected and getting exercise. And how are these things presenting us with the opportunities to find new ways of living? Every weekday, the Sustainable Lens team of Samuel Mann, Shan Gallagher and Mara Karatai reach out from their bubbles to chat with interesting and positive people around the world. Broadcast on Otago Access Radio 105.4 FM and streamed and podcast on oar.org.nz and sustainablelens.org. Bringing connection, joy, kindness and peace in the days ahead. Welcome to Blowing Bubbles, positive conversations with people in their bubbles, their safe spaces around the world. I'm Samuel Wan in Sawyer's Bay, Dunedin, and I am joined today from Hawaii by Ben Javi. Kia ora, Ben. Kia ora, Samuel. How are you? I'm very well indeed. So I looked, I looked you up, and it's got pictures of Otago boys, and you're a Dunedin boy. What, are you, doing, what are you doing in Hawaii? Uh, my wife is actually in Hawaii, so um, just finished her nursing degree in the midst. And um, before she could get some mahi in New Zealand, she had to have some experience. And uh, it's easier for me to pick my life up and come to her than it was for her to come to me. So how has your bubble life been? Well, it's uh, I'm in Hawaii, so it can't be that bad, right? <laughs> um, but it's interesting. I've, I've been watching the states and how they've been reacting to it. Um, obviously, Hawaii is off the coast a bit, and uh, it's been good. I wish, obviously, as much as everyone else does, that this wasn't the case and that I could go out at spring, but they uh, shutting down and down all the hikes and restaurants and then opening up and shutting down, but... Uh, Regardless of that, I still get to surf, so it's all good. So what are you doing? I um, currently am changing my status of visa, so I can't actually do any mahi in America for the next 10 months. So what I am doing, though, is pursuing my passion with um, technology, specifically decentralized tech and um how Māori can utilise it. So I'm having a few kōreros with some prominent members in that sort of sphere. Um, and it's it's coming along pretty well, actually. We're getting some uh, sort of Māori digital council put together. Um, and I'm really enjoying the conversations that we're having, and it's leaving me uh, with a really optimistic taste in my mouth for the future. Decentralised tech, what's that about? Um, so without sort of ruining anyone's dreams. Uh, it's talking about uh, money in particular, um, voting systems and governance. I think the whole sort of blockchain and decentralized, I'm saying that with the whole quotation fingers there, uh, a bit of buzzwords at the moment. Um, but it's led me down the sort of rabbit hole uh, which is why I wrote that paper, The Economics of Decolonization, which just kind of assessed the current landscape of the financial sector in New Zealand. Um, so I'm just opening up that conversation because a lot of people are starting to try and build their own currency and framework. Uh, but for me, I am a bit of a maximalist um, for Bitcoin in that sense, to be honest. And what's the link of that to the... Well, of, of, of the decentralized money to the indigeneity or to decolonization? Well, um, in our history, when the British pound was introduced, uh, it was forced to pay taxes with that currency. Um, King Tafio II tried to start up his own bank, but that was still using, obviously, the... How do I, how do I say that? Uh, the, the currency that was brought in rather than our own currency or economic framework. So what we're looking at is how we can have a sovereign currency and framework that sort of can't be stopped or corrupted or, um, you know, co-opted. Is it a 
what what's the driver for it? It's not to avoid tax, is it? it it's to it's it's it's, no. it's more fundamental than that. Um, well, the driver for it is first of all, it gives us optionality to build on top of it, however we please, um, in a decentralized manner. But it's also because I believe that money um, it has functionality as a store of value, of an exchange, and a unit of account, and I believe the dollar has lost its store of value functionality ever since it was um, no longer pegged to gold. So we're looking at it as a savings technology to begin with, um, and then looking at the, the sort of enclosed economic framework later down the track when we start to actually use it a bit more as a medium of exchange and unit of account. Those sort of enclosed economies. Is it a contradiction? Maybe it is only at a very surface level, a contradiction between decolonization and high tech. In what sense? Is that a contradiction? Well, I suppose it's not a de- it, it's it's not a you're not we face this all the time with sustainability. That that people people argue that if if you don't want this this technology, then you're just taking us back to the dark ages. You're taking us back to the caves. And the response in the response in sustainability terms is no, we're aiming for a better life, not a lesser life. Yeah. So I think obviously technology is neither good nor nor bad. It's it's neutral in there. Um, had we never have been colonized, would we have had this technology regardless? Who knows? But in the digital era and the globalized era, are we able to revert back to um, merely barter? Well, no, we can't for a few reasons. The double coincidence of wants is one. The what? The double coincidence of, of wants? Yeah. So if I have a fish for sale and you're selling apples but don't want a fish, how do I get the apples? There has to be some sort of medium that we use, and that medium has to have specific attributes and functionality that that's a common shall we say currency yeah so it it has to have you know the store of value medium exchange and unit of account is the functionality but the attributes that define how good that currency is um, portable divisible durable recognizable um, those sort of components, and then what these currencies do is they all compete with an, uh, one another, and they all converge to the best currency, inevitably. And so, so your premise is that that would be a, a Bitcoin-like system. Um, that's my sort of ideology at the moment. I'm open to everyone else's sort of concepts and ideas. Um, the The premise of that article was more so to open up the dialogue rather than say, I know what the way is and lead the way, um, sort of build up the conversation from a ground-up approach rather than a top-down approach. You're talking about the establishing a Maori Digital Council. That's an interesting Great. thing to to see that happening. I've forgotten when it was in the when the government was working on the the digital strategy, the first digital strategy yes. in about two thousand and four ish. They they did quite a big analysis of what is it that actually makes New Zealand unique and what what was the um, what was our sort of value add for the world, and they came down to Maori digital content was the was the thing that that we actually have that nobody else does um yeah. and at the time the we or... well at the time Sorry. we started uh, yeah. we started looking around to say okay so who are the people that can actually do this i was working with kyla russell professor kyla russell at the time uh, who who can do who's a maori digital content practitioner and everybody told us the same like two or three people and we came to think that hang on, you can't build a whole a whole economy on three people. <laughs> yeah. 
Do you think we've progressed past that? I definitely think we, we have. I've spoken to some people who are studying artificial intelligence and have degrees from Harvard in that. I'm, I'm speaking to people who have built uh, decentralized platforms already. Um, there's people who are web developers, front-end, back-end. There's some pretty, pretty um, impressive people out there. Um, but is it the... Is it Māori building the applications or is it the difference in culture that's being incorporated into the applications that are being built? I would probably say it's the latter over the, the former. Yeah, that was what that was one of the, the points that we were making is that it wasn't about the content. It was about the, the people um, and the, the approaches and the, the, way of, the way of thinking that had to be different. It wasn't just a let's just use ordinary development techniques to 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 make some 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 maori content uh but the way they described it was that it's just it had to be um it had to be more than that so do you see this as uh as part of an overall sovereignty absolutely um i was just speaking to sarah stratton from future tech labs and she's talking about introducing tikanga to different technology companies and fintech companies and they're like it's a, in my opinion a better approach as well um as it pertains to sovereignty well if there's a, a decentralized currency and framework that can't be stopped that has a, a finite supply and can't be co-opted and then increase the total supply well then it's a trustless system that you know people can build their own sovereign applications on so I think it's a it's the right step in the right direction, um, and I, I think it just works better from a technical sense, being peer to peer rather than than top down. It's better for everyone. Do you see this working in conjunction with the other aspects of the sovereignty movement? And we we've talked to Toy um, Eti, who's who's working very much on food sovereignty as a. Uh, a means of sort of retaking control and using that to rebuild culture. Are you seeing this in a similar kind of dual role? Yeah. Well, the whole sovereign aspect is not having to have permission to be able to do just normal functions like growing your own food. So I, I guess that would be similar in the sense that we want permission to be able to have our savings in money, not having to buy a house or gamble in the stock market. You know what I mean? I think, so that's bringing that sort of sovereignty back in the sense that you can save just in money like you used to be able to. Um, but then you can also send money and that can't be stopped and censored as well. So rather than trying to build our own multi bank but still use fiat, we now have a sovereign operating system and a sovereign currency. So I see it all working in conjunction um, together, yeah. Let's take the first of your music choices. Let's have... Catch a Fire 100. Why this one? Um, i got a brother called Jamie. It talks about, you know, pride, Māori pride back home. It reminds me of home. It talks about, you know, missing your family members, particularly your mother. And I'm a bit of a mummy's boy, to be quite <laughs> honest. Um, so, yeah, the, the song just sings out to me.
What's the feeling on the on the streets in Hawaii? Are you actually allowed out on the streets? Is it is it what sort of lockdown are you in? So we've just gone back into a full lockdown. You're not allowed to go for hikes. You're not allowed to dine in at restaurants. Um, you have to wear a mask if you're going for a walk around the block. It's pretty full on, and the sort of feeling that I get. Um, I can't even say it's in the streets because I can't even be in the streets. <laughs> but the way it's looking is that it could be a, a potential civil war come come election time. So there's been lots of riots, there's been shootings. There's, it's it's pretty full noise in the states. But I feel that Hawaii is a bit separated. Um, in saying that, they did have some food. They got sent over to help, you know, some of the people in distress and someone robbed and took a lot of the food. So it's some, it's some interesting times. Why is an interesting, it is in in an interesting place, isn't it? The, like you say, they they do refer to in the States, yet they are actually part of the States. But it's kind of, it's kind of arm's length. It, It is arm's length. And they, obviously, you know, Maori, you know, had their waka that came from Hawaii and Tahiti and stuff like that. So we we actually share some a lot of ancestry, obviously, but um, in terms of the whole events that took place afterwards, um, we share a lot of history there too. Um, and there's a lot of sentiment which is similar from the Hawaiian culture to um, to the Maori culture. Um, and their positioning in sort of society. They have less of a, a whakapapa, don't they? It, it's not, people aren't so clearly they are or they're not. It, it, it's sort of, they, they I, I suppose it's because they, they're, they're such a diverse cult community. It, it's, it, it's hard to sort of tell who you're, you're talking to sometimes. Yeah, um, it, it can be a bit like that in the sense that they had a very big Japanese presence. Um, so it is it is slightly different, but 
you know, the locals know who the locals are. So I've been told off for going to the wrong surf spots and stuff like that. <laughs> um, but that's just the way it is. Um, you know, they're very, they're very, you know, cool culture. My, my wife's Hawaiian. The way they view life is very similar to Māori, actually. Yeah. Is it a, a, a similar set of values? Yeah, very similar set of values. And do you see that played out in, in how people interact? Um, well, I can't really speculate there because unfortunately since I've got here, it was around you know February and everything's <laughs> been locked down. So I haven't really been able to interact uh, with many people, let alone Hawaiians that I actually know, apart from uh, my wife and her sister. And, and looking out the window. <laughs> and looking out the window. Have a chat. Are you in Honolulu? Yeah, I'm in Honolulu. It's um, it's a beautiful place. Have you ever been? Yeah. I was yeah, supposed to be. Come I was supposed to be there. I was, I was the sustainability chair for a major conference that was supposed to be there in May. Uh, but it got cancelled, and it was was it May? Early May. It was one of the first sort of big conferences to. Uh, to be cancelled and it was because it was cancelled so late it, they didn't even try to put it online it was just it just didn't happen at all which was which is very disappointing. disappointing there's no real reason why you couldn't have that hui online and and you know structure that yeah i think so i, I mean it's a conference that has like five thousand people so it it would have been an interesting challenge to to set that up from scratch in no time. Yeah, um, and it, it's interesting from a how do you just cater that kind of that kind of number of people and get them all through through lunch? But it's a very different challenge when you're saying, okay, how do we get all these people connected online? Um, with I've forgotten how many it is, something like a hundred different streams running simultaneously. Uh, that that was a that's an interesting interesting yeah. challenge. So you haven't seen a lot, but have you seen any community activities? Is the the community around you sort of banding together? They are. Um, Tehani went out to um, what you would consider like a, a Hawaiian tangi, so it's a funeral. They were saying farewell to someone that had passed that was prominent in the community and they all surfed out and they have what's called a halu lei. Is that right, Tehani? Haku lei? Haku lei? Um, which is sort of this kind of flowery stuff, but it's it's, um, it's for your head. And you take one out there and you leave it out and it's, um, it's in honour of that memory. Did you say yeah. surf? Did you say surfed out? Yep, they they um, paddled out on their surfboards, and then they all formed a big circle. And you know, Kelly Slater and stuff was there. Was it Kelly Slater, Tehani? Yeah, that's a different one. Yeah, yeah. So um, it's pretty did, cool did, that it's that fitting. Did you learn to surf in Dunedin? Nope, learned to surf here, but um, grew up in Arrowtown, so. Learned how to ice skate, snowboard, skateboard. There's not much else to do around there. <laughs> so none of those things you can do in Hawaii? Um, no. On we, skateboards you can? Yeah. So we skateboard. We've got a few longboards and, and we surf. Um, it's pretty good fun. Obviously, I think surfing's a bit better than uh, skateboarding these days because if I fall over on the concrete and take a crash, it's not the same as it was when I was a kid. Bubble Sprite of the Forest of Orokanui, Dunedin's favourite goddess, Tahu Mackenzie. Kia ora koutou, nāmahi arahanui kia koutou, kataha ho. I hope you're all having the best day, beautiful superstars in your beloved universal. And I really hope wherever you are and whatever is happening around you, this journey that we're all on together is proving to be very rewarding, very fulfilling and illuminating for you more and more each day who you are, the triumph of nature's art, perfect 
unique and here making us better thank you so i've had a very interesting day and of course i've been very excited to talk to you all about it so thank you for having me for these five minutes together each day it's a great pleasure and privilege and honor for me and so of course today i'm now back at my heart's home workplace orokanui eco sanctuary and wonderful harvey penfold and i had the great pleasure of hosting the amazing Samara from Top Flight and making a video about the Peak Peak of Bird Feeders. It's very, very exciting. And tomorrow we have our first absolutely gigantic, beautiful school group coming to visit us. And of course, under all of these wonderful rules and regulations and protective restrictions of level two, we're going to be staggering and dividing and creating mini dream teams of ultimate destiny eight of which will rotate around different activity stations at the beautiful Orokanua eco sanctuary and so great preparation was also made for this today including the second day of swapped timber swapping some delicious Orokanui coffee for 10 beautiful handmade fiddlehead adorned protective masks from my dear friend Dr. Barbara Anderson and of course it's been a real eye-opener for me it's been a real illuminating process for me because I love faces I love seeing people's expressive beautiful faces their full faces and I love all their features and I never forget a face and when I was a wee girl my favorite book was a book of photos just photos of people's faces and I loved looking at it and I find them fascinating fascinating and of course it's been an area of trepidation for me obscuring some of the beautiful face and seeing the beautiful faces obscured but in fact today when I went to visit Dr Barbara Anderson and we both had the majority of our beautiful faces obscured by these fiddlehead adorned masks and we were gazing at each other I actually saw these incredible eyes looking back at me and these incredible eyes just blasting out all this love and expressive connection and spirit and being and personality and personhood and I just loved it so this was a real affirmation for me of course that whilst we are going through this process of change and restriction and challenge and all of these things in fact like all challenges and restrictions and changes it's an opportunity for us to tune into one another and ourselves in different ways and reach a new and deeper level of connection and intimacy and when we are challenged and when we are afraid and we are uncomfortable and we then transmute those negative states of being negative emotions and we find the strength within to reframe and perceive things in new ways of course what we find is a new level of intimacy and a new level of understanding with ourselves and with each other and by moving through this cycle of deepening understanding of course we regain that sense of trust and that sense of oneness and that sense of all the infinite possibility and power that surrounds us and of course of which we are a part so i really hope that for all of you as we are making these changes and we are wearing masks you're finding many beautiful eyes to gaze into and connect with including your own and thank you for the contributions that you are making as part of the dream team supreme of five million and i'll look forward to talking to you tomorrow thanks so much Kakiti. What sort of messaging are you getting from the the government, the state, or, or, or federal about the how you should be behaving? Um, sorry, just to clarify, just because you cut out a wee bit, what's the overall sentiment from the government on how we should be behaving? Yeah. Okay. Um, well, we're not allowed to visit each other at our own houses. It's very much your lockdown. You're in your own bubble. Don't talk to people um, face to face if you can avoid it. Um, it's 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 contradicting. It, it's been confusing. Um, first of all, 
you don't need masks. It's, you know, not contagious. You do need masks. If you're asymptomatic, you don't need masks. Yes, you do need masks. It's, um, it has been very confusing, to be honest. But the, the sentiment now is, once again, confusing. Like, at, at the start, we were, we were locking down so that we could flatten the curve in terms of those that would overflow the hospitals. No one's got been going really to the hospitals. A lot of hospitals have been going bankrupt and the government is trying to subsidize the hospitals based off how many COVID patients they have, which gives the hospitals an incentive to write down COVID for any reasoning they can. Um, so I, I, I really am kind of taken aback about how we've handled this in terms of reduction of personal liberties, I understand the how vital it is and how infectious it is, and how, I, I don't disagree that it is a threat. You know, it is a very serious threat. But I think that Sweden and how they, you know, gave their citizens their own responsibility and accountability um, to wear, you know, act accordingly without shutting down the entire economy and the sort of sentiment where it's like, even if it just saves one life, but in contrast to shutting down the entire economy uh, and what, how many lives will be lost from that? How many, yeah, I don't want to get, get too far in there, <laughs> but it's, it's confusing times. It's the, you know, we've had the be kind messages being very strong here. What are they, how are they, in, in, in Hawaii, in the States, what's the, as you say, the sentiment behind it? How, how are they saying? Is it like, do this to look after yourself, do this to look after others? How are they uh, framing that? Um, from what I, I've seen police officers that will patrol the beach, you're not allowed to sit there. Um, you're told you have to wear a mask or you get fines. You can't go in anywhere if you don't wear a mask anyway. Um, I'm not sure about the whole be kind sort of stuff. Or to be honest, I'm just kind of speculating on their sentiment because I'm not a big fan of watching the mainstream news, to be quite frank. Um, so I, I can't really comment on that further. So of all of the changes that we have seen over the, the last few months, what do you think is going to stick and what do you hope will stick? I think we'll stick. Well, um, I think everything just about in terms of how we interact, how we learn, um, is kind of going to change, not in the sense that obviously, like physically, but there's this digital sort of evolution that seems to be really ramping up. Um, I would say that technology is on an exponential curve and we're past that knee bend. And um, I, think a, I think a lot of um, industries are about to change. Um, how it is going to affect the person is, is kind of yet to be determined. It really depends on what kind of path we take. But I'm really optimistic that... Uh, the power structures are now becoming, rather than a centralised top-down, it's a decentralised peer-to-peer sort of network. Um, I am sort of worried that we're going to be in this lockdown until we have a vaccine, which is going to be at least a year and a half. Uh, I'm worried that the vaccine will be enforced and you won't be able to have your usual services without being able to prove that you have the vaccine. Not that I'm anti-vax, just that I'm wary of trying to speed things up too fast where it hasn't been clinically tested correctly. And I'm also wary of the long-term effects, but that sort of information is yet to come. But they seem to be prepping for what seems to be a bit of a dr draconian sort of um, how would I phrase that? Yeah, I'm not too. I'm not too sure. Everything's kind of up in the air, it seems. Don't you think? 
Yeah, I mean, I, I think that one of the things that it has shown is that change is possible. Absolutely. So, things that we didn't think were possible, all of a sudden people are doing. You wouldn't have thought that it was possible not just to have everybody stay at home for, for months and months, but to do things like move all education online. Yeah. To, to, to shut down the, the tourism sector pretty much. You know, you, you wouldn't have thought that anybody could actually do that, but here they are, they, they've done it. So so maybe that's a bright light for things like, you know, you move to alternative um, currencies. Hmm. Yeah, I think these, it, it, we can do these right. things. Yeah, we we absolutely can. But just because you can do something doesn't mean you should. And I, you know, I'm wary of how the small to medium enterprises have been affected in contrast to the big and larger organisations. Um, I mean, forty percent of the businesses in America will never reopen again. It seems to be that this whole thing has impacted the tourism industry in those places like Queenstown, like Hawaii, that are kind of dependent on that. They're going to all of a sudden have to restructure their revenue stream. So it'll be interesting to see what comes from it. It's also interesting to see that a lot of the universities, how they didn't really need the infrastructure or land to be teaching. They just needed the right digital systems. But it's also interesting to see that they're still charging the same amount, even though it's all digital. So that is interesting, but it seems to be that uh, the optimistic view is prevailing in the sense that, um, you know, more people have had more time to reevaluate and sit back on and, you know, focus on what's important. What's the talk around hawaii i know you're not getting out on the streets but i'm, I'm sure you're you're watching local news of some sort and and so on what's the what's the future for their for the tourism is it just going to be a turn a switch back on and it's all coming it's all going back or is it a that going to need a fundamental shift well they say it's a v-shaped recovery but it, how can that be the case when you open up the sector again, and then you shut the sector again. Um, all of these companies are having to take this money to keep their business afloat, getting in more debt to pay their staff, but a lot of them are just shutting down. So what I think will happen is these places will come together to try and share costs and then restructure their sort of services to be delivered. Um, so it'll be more oriented around sort of Uber Eats sort of material um, for the time being, at least. What's Is your that... thoughts? Yeah, I, I think that, well, I've thought for a long time that, that tourism, the fast, the fast tourism, the, the mass market tourism can't last forever anyway. You know, we've, that's flying in the face of climate change to, to be able to um, literally flying in the face of climate change to be able to do that. So I'm hopeful that we see in New Zealand, but but also in places like Hawaii, a bit of a rethink about what does tourism look like? What do people want? And maybe it's not as many people as possible. Maybe it's slower experiences. True. I could also see virtual reality um, playing a big part in that, being able to experience different places without actually being there. Well, I've had, uh, during the, the big lockdown, I spent quite some time touring the world on Google Maps. <laughs> because... have, you, uh, have you managed to play around with like the Oculus headset, anything like that? I have done in the past. I wasn't doing this time. I was just setting myself a little challenge of could you make postcard postcards style images from yeah. from google maps I don't, yeah i think i did you don't, you don't get to go to 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 some of the national parks but there's an awful lot of stuff you do get to do true i think um a lot of people sort of have that sort of headset where they can record for those environments and then actually go for walks through there and then people will be able to just relive that experience I think that would be really cool, especially for the sort of snorkeling and stuff like that as well, to be able to experience that, even for people who may have fear of water or something. Yeah, and so with those sorts of things, then maybe the actual travel 
is not just for the the, the, the stuff that you can do in, in other ways. Maybe it has to be, it's much more about the relationships and the the experience in a deeper way. Absolutely. Actually really connecting to the roots of the place rather than just coming for a beach and a margarita and not actually understanding the culture behind it. Exactly. I am playing 660, Don't Forget Your Roots. What a jam. some questions to end the show with and not that much time so we'll have better be quick what is the biggest success you've had in the the last couple of years uh getting married are you saying that because she's in the room no not just saying that because she's in the room (laughs) (laughs) Um, yeah I'm, i'm really proud to be honest good call we're writing a book of these conversations. It's called Tomorrow's Heroes. It's our team of people doing good work. So what's the superpower that's got you into our mansion? Um, 
Good question. The superpower that has got into your mention is I am happy to be wrong. If I'm wrong, I learn and, um, you know, no ego sort of attached there. Although sometimes it, <laughs> it does suck a little, but I, I'm, I'm happy in that regard. It's quite exciting how different all of those superpowers that people say are. I don't think we've had that one before. Yeah. Do you consider yourself to be an activist? Yeah, absolutely I do. Why's that? Uh, obviously, you know my mum. She's got the PhD in peace studies and um, indigenous um, or peace conflict and indigenous studies. And I grew up with that sort of surrounding and environment and learned about my culture and my heritage. And um, I think that Māori haven't had a proper seat at the table. Te Tiriti has not been, you know, upheld. And I really want to make sure that when it comes to the digital side of things, that we do have a seat at the table. What motivates you? What gets you out of bed in the morning? Um, to be honest, it's not money. It's making a, a positive change and knowing that by the time I leave this world, it'll be better than, than when I entered, or at least my contribution will be towards that. Very sort of legacy-centric. Do you think we can learn anything from how we've responded to the pandemic for that sort of long-term change, the intergenerational changes that we're looking for? Absolutely. I think that in the current centralised structure, we see people in power are generally white, are generally old and out of touch with the younger generations and how they operate and what they want. And we're going to see a big handoff from the boomers to the millennials and things are really about to, to turn upside down. You might have Generation X to deal with between those two. Speaking as a Generation uh, Xer. <laughs> well, you know, that's okay. But if things are peer-to-peer um, and more automated in that sense, I don't think we're going to have to deal with any generation. I think we're going to collectively decide what's best for us. We're going to decentralize and localize. What's the biggest challenge you're looking forward to in the next year or so? Biggest challenge is sort of building this Māori Digital Council without being a leader. Um, I th yeah. And then talking about what interests me because it covers so many different fields, economics, technology, cryptography, that it's really hard to sort of relay that information in layman's terms. So I think the educational front inside of things is going to be quite difficult, but I think we'll get there. And lastly, do you have any advice for our listeners? Uh, absolutely. I think that speaking from my experience, rather than focusing on the negative problems, um, while they are important to raise awareness, um, at least when you bring them up, talk about viable solutions that are actionable. Um, and reach out to people. There's no shame in reaching out to people and wanting to contribute. I've been talking to um, some people in the Māori community that are CEOs and really high up people, but they'll make the time to, to hear me out, even though my LinkedIn compared to theirs is laughable. So don't be afraid to reach out and learn. Thank you very much for that. Thank you very much for joining me. No worries, Samuel. Thank you very much for having me. It's been a pleasure. Oh.
listening to Blowing Bubbles, positive conversations with people in their bubbles, their safe spaces around the world. Brought to you by the Sustainable Lens Team, which is brought to you by Otago Polytechnic. We're broadcast on Otago Access Radio every weekday afternoon at 3 and streamed and podcast on oar.org.nz. You can find us on Facebook and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. We're listening now to Cora Pop Your Bubble. We've had a contribution from... Tahu McKenzie. I'm Samuel Mann in Sawyer's Bay, Dunedin, with Ben Javi in Hawaii. We hope you enjoyed the show. This podcast was produced by ORFM Dunedin with support from New Zealand On the Air.